Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Yo. Yo. Aubrey Edwards, Tony Schiavone, we bout to party. We bout to party. Unrestricted. Got the house now. We gon' turn it up, up, bring the house down. Got that big space pump and make them bounce now. Flossing like they bossing and the freaks are coming out now. You're listening and watching on our YouTube channel, AEW Unrestricted, the official podcast of All Elite Wrestling. Tony Schiavone here along with... Aubrey Edwards. What's up, Tony? What's up, A-E? Hey, what's up, T-S? Is this a thing we do now? A-E is Aubrey Edwards and then A-E-W. You could buy the company called Aubrey Edwards Wrestling. I'm not the first one to make that joke. I'm not as egotistical as I... appear. Actually, that's a lie. I am. Uh, I try and hide it, though. <laughs> we'll leave it at the door. <laughs> okay, the podcast is over. Thank you for listening. Hey, subscribe, download. We are we are with uh, we are with uh, QT Marshall, who's joined us here. QT, how are you, buddy? Marshall, but yeah, I'm doing good. Sorry, Marshall. Is it is it Marshall or more Marshall? Which do you prefer? Uh, I prefer Marshall, but when I first started with AEW, I didn't have the clout to make people change it. So I feel that I do now. So it's Marshall. You absolutely do. <laughs> QT Marshall. I figured it was just a heel turn thing. Like, oh, now he's Marshall. Okay. Yeah, that's well, if we get to the or the uh, the way it originated, that is exactly what it was. Okay, so you've got the clout now. And the reason you've got the clout now is that you work so damn hard behind the scenes. And that's that's a shoot here. You really do, man. You ought, I think you should be a very happy and very proud about your work ethic and what you've brought to AEW. Yeah, well, I don't have a piece of paper that says I'm good at anything, uh, like you know most <laughs> people in the world. So right. I just gotta you know work harder than everyone else, or at least I try to, and I make a lot of mistakes. But I feel that if you work really hard, a lot of people are very forgiving when you make those mistakes. So oh, absolutely. I don't think I've ever seen you make a mistake. So if you have. It's definitely under the radar, and you're probably good. So yeah, it's usually on the on those private calls and stuff like that. So. Ah, there we go, there we go. Yeah. yeah, I just want to echo a little bit about t- what Tony said just now. Like you are legit one of the hardest working people at AEW, and there have been multiple occasions on tape shows where we'll go in. I'm trying to find the card because I have a billion extras asking me what their matches are, and you haven't slept at all. And it's absolutely insane, and I appreciate everything you do, and I don't tell you that enough. Well, I appreciate it. No, well, the thing is that, you know, our boss, he likes to hang out and, and be up very late. So, and sometimes, every now and then, I'll go to sleep. I'll say, hey, just text me, you know, the the stuff, and I'll put it on the paper the next morning. But then, uh, the other day, he kind of, he texted me when, the, I guess we for both forgot something. He wrote, well, I was doing it by myself. So I was like, okay, point noted. You know, I won't be leaving you by yourself anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and this loop was the hard loop. I said, all right, if I can get through these four days, I can handle anything. So we did it. We made it. I guess the, as we say, those, uh, those long loops, that was the end of an era. No, that's the, the last tape. Dynamite is in the can. Yeah, thank God. 
seems like a tape dynamite takes four hours compared to the live two hour show. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> it's because they give Tony the option to go back and check and make sure he loves everything. And he's a perfectionist. And he does, you know, it's his product, his name on the line. I get it, but you know, I'm just sitting there like, oh man, I swear that was good. And if it's not good, you know what? That's the wrestler's fault. You know, <laughs> it's not your fault, Tony. <laughs> right. So people don't realize, and I, I'm maybe maybe some of them do that. You're really when we uh, do shows, you're really kind of on the front line of this. All the changes go through you, and that's a great responsibility. Does that ever just kind of hit you like, man, all this stuff goes through me? Well, I used to think, man, if Vince McMahon and Triple H found out how this was really happening, they would laugh. And then I realized, you know what, I'm pretty good at this, though, so fuck them, you know? Sorry. I don't know if I could say that, but, <laughs> you know, so then I thought about it for a while, and I thought how, how you know, honored I was, honestly, to be given the responsibility and trusted with that responsibility to pass along those those details of what's supposed to happen on these shows. And, you know, it's it's pretty cool, you know, when I, again, a couple of years ago when I opened up my training facility, I really thought that that was going to be it. I was just going to train wrestlers and kind of run our own little, you know, rinky-dink shows, and that would be the end of it. And now that idea has turned into uh, a dream job of, helping run a <laughs> the complete opposite of a rinky dink show. <laughs> it's yeah, the, kind of the one of the biggest shows. Yeah, one of the biggest shows, one of the number one television shows on TV, right? So it's pretty crazy how it all works out. So let's talk a little bit about how you came to AEW because you initially just came in behind the scenes. Now you're an in-ring performer. Like, how did this all go down? So I was training Brandy when she was in Ring of Honor and Cody had kind of let me know what was going on. He asked me to come to Jacksonville that first, you know, during the rally. And I went and he just asked me, he said, Hey, I kind of need an assistant. And, you know, I don't want to have like some college intern that, you know, you obviously know about this. So let's do this. And there's an opportunity here for you to do that. And I had never expressed wanting to do any of that stuff. I think he just saw me lingering around ring of honor backstage because I had an agreement with them where I would do women of honor commentary, but I would really get to learn the backstage side of everything. And that's kind of when I thought my in-ring career was not going to happen anymore. So, you know, and then AEW started and we started working really hard on the road twos and, and all that other stuff that we were doing. And I remember when the double or nothing casino battle Royale kind of was announced. And I thought to myself, like, man, I would have, you know, I remember they were putting guys in it that weren't working for AEW. I was thinking like, man, why are you putting Glacier in there? Like, he's my business partner. I want to be in there, you know? And I remember saying it and it kind of turned into like a little argument. Like, hey, man, I gave you the job that you wanted. And I was like, man, the job I want is everything. And then I kind of left it alone. And you could tell in my my look, because I was getting really lean in the summer during Fight for the Fallen, because I thought, okay, this could happen. And then all of a sudden, when that conversation happened, it was like, ah, screw this. I'm just going to eat a bunch of pizza and cake. And then Tony on a call was like, hey, so the third episode of Dark, I think we're going to do uh, Peter Avalon and QT versus Sonny Kiss and Dustin. I was like, oh, no. Oh, my God. I got to get in shape. You know, <laughs> it was actually Tony's idea to, to have me wrestle. And then, you know, one thing led to another and more opportunities came up. And um, obviously with the pandemic and us being shorter on talent, I always say this. Luckily, I always like I already know how to wrestle as long as I have my gear, which rule number one, always bring your gear. As long as I have my gear, there's no problem with me getting out there and, and performing in ring. So it was always the other stuff behind the scenes. So I always say, like, I work really hard behind the scenes. So this way they can't take away my in ring performing because I know 
if they had to choose, in-ring would be the one that they would take away because there's not many people backstage that could do or will do all of the stuff that I do. Whereas there's, you know, multiple, multiple people and uh, a lot more out there on the indies that would definitely want to take my spot. So, yeah, I think you uh, came up with a key phrase there. We'll do what I do in the back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, not a lot of people would not do that. I mean, it's a never ending thing. And, and I've been on the end of Tony's Texas as well. And the texts sometimes are very long and involved and, I have to read them back a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. They're, they're, they're really something. So congratulations on all your success. And talk about your first match, the first time you wrestled in AEW. I think you, you and Peter Avalon together, right? Yeah. Yeah. Versus Dustin and Sonny. And uh, crazy how I would have ended up being Dustin's partner. But yeah, it was fun, man. My mom was front row. We got her flown up there. We bought her a front row seat. You know, because again, I didn't know that there was going to be more. Right. I figured, OK, I'll do this match and, you know, they'll, they'll, I'll get it out of my system and everyone will be happy. I'll be happy. But it was fun, you know, and we had a, obviously that was when we had full crowds and that was in Pittsburgh. It was a lot of fun. And the crowd was really into it. And then I realized, OK, I want to do this a lot more. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, you kind of casually mentioned that, like, you have your first match against Dustin and then eventually start tagging with him in the natural nightmares. Is there anything in particular you learned from Dustin? Dustin and I have very different philosophies on wrestling when it comes to like the selfishness, I guess. Right. So like, because I've never been at his level, I don't understand the whole idea of, you know, keeping your character strong and this, that, and the other. And I also don't care. Like the biggest thing was we used to argue all the time. He'd be like, Hey man, these are enhancement matches. Like you just got to go out there and do stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but I was the enhancement talent three months ago. So (laughs) I can't go out there and, that's kind of insulting to our audience. And he's like, oh, don't worry about it. I'm like, no. So then when we would call the matches, I would tell the enhancement talent, hey, don't say what you're going to do. And then I would say, you know, we'll do this. And then they'll cut me off. And then I'll make a hot tag. And, you know, that's it. And then Dustin would be like, okay. And then all of a sudden I'd be in there. He'd be screaming from the apron. What are you doing? Tag out. <laughs> and I just started laughing, you know. So, but uh, yeah, I learned a lot about that. And then also just how to have fun again, you know, because I see him at, at his age and all the years he's had in this business and he's just having a great time. And I think once I started to relax and have, you know, just a fun time out there, I think it really started to show and it really shows in the work. Everybody had a lot of fun really during the full capacity crowd we had at Double or Nothing. Talk about performing in front of that crowd. Oh, it was great. You know, I got pulled last minute from the Battle Royal. Uh, because I told Tony and the doctors that my wrist was hurt and it wasn't. I just had that loaded wrist brace that I wanted to hit Cody in the head with during this match. Um, also, I realized <laughs> that the battle Royal was right before, uh, you know, Anthony and Cody's match. And I, right. I'm very lazy and I didn't think I was going to be able to get back there, shower, change, do my hair, get my jewelry on all this stuff. So I just, sorry, Tony, sorry, Doc Samson, but I just said I was hurt. But it was awesome walking out there. Plus, I really I, I wanted to get a full the full taste of that crowd hating us. And I knew if I walked out there in a wave of four other athletes, four other wrestlers, it was going to be, you know, mixed. Right. Because there'd be some baby faces out there, some heels as we all walked out. And then if I got stuck with like a Christian cage wave, you know, they were going to cheer me. And that's not the reaction I'm looking for at this moment in time. Right. But it was awesome. I'm excited. 
Yeah. If, uh, before uh, Aubrey asks the next question, first of all, you're not lazy. You may <laughs> think you're lazy. No, I'm, when it comes but you're not lazy. lazy in wrestling, I'm lazy. I don't stretch. Okay. I don't do anything. I barely tie my boots. <laughs> Gonna have one of those factory kids do it for you. Yeah, that's exactly. that's that's delegating. Yeah, that is delegating. Thanks, Aaron. So, yeah, <laughs> he's just an extra anyway. Yeah. One of the things I love you're talking about reactions, and I know that like when I'm standing in the ring and you make Komarodo pick up the stairs so you can sit on them, I'm just like, man, this guy is a total shit bag. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I'm like, I I hope that's the reaction you're getting because that's the one I'm giving you. Like, holy shit, dude. A thousand percent. I mean, I remember when we were, you know, when we did the initial plan to beat the crap out of Cody and his whole family, I told Camarado, I said, it would be really cool if you could lift those steps and throw them on the stage for me. And then I just want to sit there like a boss. And then I did it, but I was in my underwear. So it was a little awkward, you know, my belly hanging over my underwear just because no one wants to be seated, you know, and get pictures taken of them. But then I was like, but if I'm in my dress clothes, you know, this could be a really cool thing and I could watch the matches and I don't have to stand ringside, you know, and also as the boss, you don't want to be lower than anyone else. You want to be above everybody. So I just thought it was a cool look. And uh, I don't know what we're going to do once we go back on the road in real arena. Right. Unless we have a second set of steps. Maybe I'll make Nick pick them up from the ring and carry them all the way up the ramp, all the way up the stage <laughs> and just leave. He'll be exhausted before he even starts his match. Hey, it'll be fine, man. I just love the bowling shirts that you wear. It's just like it kind of like completes the whole asshole look. I love it. Yeah, a lot of people are very interested in those bowling shirts. And honestly, <laughs> they're very comfortable. They're light. You know, we're outside. It's almost 100 degrees sometimes. They're light. They look nice. I, I can't believe I never uh, added those to my to my wardrobe before this. But, you know, now I have like 30 of them. So. So before you were the asshole QT Marshall running the factory, one of the greatest matches you had, in my opinion, is the bunkhouse match that you did with Dustin against Butcher and Blade. Well, it was pretty violent. Uh, what was the initial idea for that match? Man, now what a storyline, huh? So, yeah, there was a, a storyline that started. It's supposed to be a little fun. And then, you know, I had gotten taken away from TV due to COVID and all this other stuff. And then they got taken away and, it was just a whole bunch of stuff. So we kind of just dropped the storyline, which I know fans are very upset about. But they were also, here's the thing. I hate some of the fans. And the reason why <laughs> is because they're like, why did you guys just drop that storyline? Well, mother effers, you're the ones that didn't like the storyline because you said that both of us were, you know, married in real life. So screw you guys. We're trying to put on a TV show. You know what I mean? So because of that, it put too much pressure. So anyway, one thing led to another. And then Tony was like, hey, I got this idea what if you guys did this bunkhouse match? And I'm like, okay. So then on dark a week before we ended up going out there and, you know, they attacked me and all this stuff. And then we attacked them and it was just supposed to be violent and it was supposed to be fun. I remember thinking, okay, this is like a Dustin style match. So I'm going to conform. I'm going to wear the jeans. I'm going to wear the cowboy boots. Like what can I do though? That can really hopefully get into people's memories forever. And then I remember just walking around and seeing that ladder thinking like, oh, I'm going to jump off this ladder, not realizing how much it was going to hurt. Oh, yeah. I didn't wrestle after that until the new year. And I, that was the one where I should have told Doc Sampson, but I didn't. You know, somehow I was just able to maneuver my way into not working a whole bunch of times because I could barely walk. So but that was a lot of fun. And it, it, it was a big moment for me in my career. I always say we didn't capitalize on the moment, but that's because. I physically couldn't, but I didn't want anyone to know either because 
You know, I'm very old school in that mindset of if you're hurt, you can't wrestle. And if you can't wrestle, I mean, we still make money because, you know, we have the greatest job in the world. But I don't want to be that guy that's not wrestling all the time when when I know I can. So we are talking with QT Marshall Uh, coming up next. We're going to talk about the Nightmare Factory, how that all developed, how it was an important part of us staying uh, valid during the pandemic. And we'll talk about his early career. Welcome back, everybody. AEW Unrestricted here with Tony Schiavone and Aubrey Edwards. We're talking to one of the hardest working men in AEW, QT Marshall. Uh, We talked a little bit about how you came from backstage only to in-ring and all this kind of stuff. And you had mentioned that, you know, you thought your career was kind of headed in just the direction of you're just going to train wrestlers. Ultimately, that's turned into a major benefit for us because early on in the pandemic, we were down to like less than 25% of our roster. We needed a bunch of people. We needed a venue to perform in and let along comes the Nightmare Factory and all of your students that are now almost staples at AEW. So what what prompted you to make the school in the first place? Again, I always so I always wanted a job in wrestling and I was doing really well in New Jersey. I was coaching at the Monster Factory, kind of like volunteering, right? Because a wrestling school isn't really a moneymaker, but it's more of a passion project. So I was doing that. And then, you know, I had my normal job and then I decided like, man, I really don't like this normal job. I hate it. It's not something I want to do every day for the rest of my life. So I talked to my wife. We decided to move to Atlanta. I had talked to a bunch of people down there that owned facilities, kind of let them know what I was going to do. Um, They all basically decided not to do business with me. So I so that was even more chips on the shoulder. Um, And then my goal was always to just be such a good coach that I would get a job with probably the WWE, right? That's kind of the only place that you could really make a living at. So that's why I never named it the QT school. It always had a name and a brand. This way, if I ever left, um, it can go to, which would have been Glacier, right? As my business partner when we first started. So we called it the Power Factory because Power Plant is where he was from. And then, uh, you know, Monster Factory. So, So then I started and I always knew because I didn't have name value that I would have to make this facility the nicest facility. Right. Like it had to have brand new stuff. So I spent all my, I sold my house in Florida. I spent all my money on brand new rings, banners, ring skirts, custom ring shirts, all, the whole works. So this way, when you walked in, you know, you were like, wow, look at this place. And then luckily I was able to partner with Chip Smith, who has like the you know NFL training facility. And he gave us some space. And then we started running local shows uh, out of that space. You know, when the pandemic hit. I remember they were talking about venues and stuff and they were like, well, we just need basically a little studio. And we had shut down our facility for sports training. And they said, like, do you think this is an option? I was like, well, if you have Keith, you know, our amazing production crew come by, they can take a look and see what they think. And they were in there for two minutes and they were like, oh yeah, this could happen. So I was like, okay. And I remember just walking in and seeing the way they set it up with the big screen and the lights. And so now I've spent about $40,000 of my own money trying to recreate, which if you know, if you look on Cody's uh, Nightmare Family YouTube channel, you'll see our student showcases, which are basically modeled off of the dynamites that were filmed at our facility. So it was really cool. And then obviously having all of those athletes ready to at least do enhancement matches. Some of them got a little more, some of them didn't get anything at all. It was really cool. It was a proud moment for us to just walk in there and, and also know that I was able to help out because when I was kind of broke and just training wrestlers, you know, AEW, 
they helped me out and they gave me an opportunity. So it was really nice to be able to give them the opportunity to be able to keep the show running. Cause I remember hearing Tony say how much it would cost if, um, if we didn't have live content. So just knowing that saved them a lot of money. That was pretty cool. And it was a pretty insane uh, taping schedule because of the pandemic. Oh yeah. It was crazy. It really was, wasn't it? <laughs> it's an understatement. I remember we were going to do the one, you know, the one live show we were going to film a little bit the next day and then we were going to go live again the next week. And then all of a sudden, you know, the governor of Georgia just basically wanted to shut everything down. So then we were like, oh, man, we got to tape everything today. And I was like, what? Yeah. Today. OK. And then I remember you and Tony in the in the trailer going over everything. And I had just debuted with Dustin the night before. And I was like, sure, cool. I'll get like two or three matches out of this. And then I got zero <laughs> because I had to be on the headset all day. And I was like, right, man, that's five weeks of TV, four weeks of TV that I'm missing out on now because, you know, but it all worked out in the end. So it's very obvious to me that you, you love what you do backstage, but you really have a passion for still being in the ring. Yeah. I mean, I train still to this day, you know, three, four nights a week, which is kind of and when you, you see me train, it's not like I'm just rolling around and grabbing holds. Like I'm bumping and teaching these guys how to get big moves. And I also feel if I don't do that, one, my body's going to hurt more. And two, I've been to schools before where the coach just sits on a chair and, and just directs people. And I'm young enough to get in the ring. And most of the time it's because, you know, they're not physically able to get in there. Uh, it's not a knock on anyone else. But, like, I'm physically able to get in there with the guys and girls, so I might as well do it and give them the full experience. Yeah, I love it. And being in the ring, like, there's nothing better to me than being out there and performing. And luckily, I always say this, luckily uh, I've been wrestling in a training facility for the past 16 years in front of nobody because wrestling in a pandemic era in front of nobody, I did pretty well. So it worked out great for me. So you're – Originally, you were with Glacier, and it was the Power Factory, and eventually it became the Nightmare Factory. What's the story behind that? So Cody started using the facility to train and, and you know, do his strength training with my wife was his coach and conditioning, all that stuff. And then I offered him the school. I said, would you want to have this school? Like, it's kind of cool. You're the EVP. It could turn into something more. And, and I'm kind of not done with it, but I don't need it. You know what I mean? Like, I have a job now. And then he was like, well, this is what I would want to do with it. And and I told him, like, if it's something you're really okay with, let's do it. I think it could be really good for AEW. Also, our pockets, it's extra money. You know, even if you just give the money to Brandy, it is what it is, you know. And uh, so that's that's kind of how – and he said, all right, well, I have this idea. I want to put the logo on the wall and let's dress everything up. And luckily, he has good relationships with High Spots and all these other people that were able to dress up the facility right away. Uh, I think we had the whole thing turned around in, like, two days. Cool. Yeah. And Charlie, you know, Charlie painted the logo with one of the uh, one of the kids from the facility. His dad helped out. So that's that's kind of how we got it. And he said, well, we'll just put my brand on, again with your brand and we'll put them together. So it was it was pretty cool. And again, he always was. I never used him uh, when I was training Brandy or Brandy to advertise. I never put their pictures on there. I never said like, you know, hey, come meet Cody. You know what I mean? Because I'm a firm believer and that's what a lot of schools do. And that's why a lot of schools don't work because they they sell people on all these other things. Whereas, you know, I try to just teach them how to wrestle and hope that they realize, oh, wow, this isn't really that easy. But if we put in hard work and we do all this stuff and then it's good, too, because Cody has a lot of different philosophies than I have. He's more about the etiquette and 
teaching people how to speak to each other when it comes to putting a match together. And he's very diplomatic about it. And I'm not at all. So, but I've learned now. Now I've learned, you know, it's not that serious. So we were talking with QT Marshall and uh, QT. uh, There's a lot of questions we can ask you, but I want to touch on one thing here. And that is uh, when I went and of course my education of, of wrestling since the time I've been gone has been very thorough now. Uh, I went on Prime Video one time and I saw a movie <laughs> and I saw your face on that movie yeah. on on the artwork. And it was the movie was called The Wrestler. And it was a story about you. And it was a great story about you uh, make, trying to become a wrestler or trying to elevate your career. Yeah. So your story is a, a pretty damn good story. That's what I'm trying to say. And, and I thought that that movie did a great job of. of chronicling your story about how you've i mean the 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 story ended you weren't in AEW at that time no no i had just moved to georgia the story has a good ending that's not seen on the movie we talked about that (laughs) yeah but it's a it's a great story of, of of anyone trying to become a successful pro wrestler yeah i think you know at the end that's why it it did well i guess when he the kid put it in all these different festivals and stuff like that because it was just a real story right it was it was absurd how it changed my whole life because literally I just knew the kid's brother, the director. And he said, hey, my brother's a film student. He wants to do a documentary. Do you mind? And I told him, like, yeah, just tell him to leave me alone. Like, as long as he follows me, he doesn't bother me too much. So that's that was the agreement we had. And then he turned into this crazy story. And then Cody saw it. And that's where Cody, I think, really saw the passion that I had for wrestling. Yeah. Or maybe he just felt really bad for me. I don't know. Either one. I'm okay with either. (laughs) Whichever narrative we want to go with. It was a rough time in my life because I really was at, you know, in that movie, there's a what we call in wrestling a heat spot. There was a huge heat spot where it was like, oh, my God, this guy's what the hell? This poor guy and my wife and my mom are like belittling me. Right. Like, you need to just quit and blah, blah. Now, yesterday, I'm at my mom's house right now. I surprised her for her birthday and came and visited her. And now when she saw that I was here, I literally did a full on meet and greet yesterday with her neighbors. Like she went to Walgreens, printed up eight by tens. This was absurd. (laughs) Wow. Same woman who was yelling at me at her kitchen table, telling me to quit. Right. You know, and now I'm her favorite, you know, my brother, I don't even think he exists anymore. Thank God. (laughs) He's out in in Denmark, living in Denmark and I'm on national television every week. So yeah, it was, it was crazy. Again, the kid told me, Frank, his name is, he told me that this movie was going to change my life. And I kind of laughed at him. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Right. Like, you don't know how wrestling works. And then sure enough, it, it changed my life for the better. Apparently, you don't know how wrestling works. So, <laughs> yeah, I had no clue. So, but Cody always says sometimes in wrestling, if you just, um, you know, the people that hang around usually end up surviving, right? Right. A lot of my friends and coworkers quit, you know, over the years. And, you know, I didn't. I just never gave up. So, it's a kids at home never give up, you know, <laughs> and adults never give up either. <laughs> it's never too late. Right. So I have a question about these eight by tens. Uh, do you take a flat fee for your meet and greet or did you split the profits with your mom? 50, 50. Uh, we split. Yeah, we split. Cause I owe her for my first couple months in wrestling training. So, uh, yeah, we just split right down the middle. Wrestling's all, all run in favors anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, you mentioned not putting up Cody Brandy's picture on the wall and just kind of focusing on the training. And I think a big part of that is like the, 
the students you've trained have found success and people see where they've come from. And that itself is its own advertisement for your school. Are there any students that you've had that you've been particularly proud of or any that you see having like a bright future? One would be like, right, Preston Vance, 10. And I met him when he first signed up at the Monster Factory. And then when he found out I opened a facility, he moved right to Georgia. He actually moved in with me. <laughs> and, wow. you know, so he's somebody that because of his build, it's usually rare that someone with a build like him is going to be good in the ring. So the fact that he ended up doing as well as he's done, you know, very proud of that. Like Anna Jay, for instance, she was another one that when she walked in, I mean, I remember telling her, her brother who was there with her, like, as long as she does this, meaning just puts in a little bit of work, she'll be okay. Because she just has that, you know, that it factor, right? And it is what it is. I mean, she's been performing dance recitals and stuff since she's a little kid. Then you have like what I call like the really hard workers, which are like the Allen Angels and the Lee Johnsons that literally just are there all the time grinding and trying to get better. And, you know, like maybe they don't have the, you know, like Allen, for instance, he's not the biggest guy. But his work is really good. And that's why when he got in there with Kenny Omega on Dynamite, you know, they had a they had a, a banger, right, as they say. And, you know, it turned it right into, right. hey, you know what, Tony, right away, I think I have an idea for this guy. And he texted me when Lee Johnson had his first match. And he said, hey, is Lee your guy? I said, he is. He said, wow, I think you really have something special with this kid. Keep doing whatever you're doing with him. And then literally, you know, three months later, he signs like a – you know, I don't want to go into his business, but I think like a six year contract like is absurd. You know, I'm like, wait a minute. That's my student. What do I, you know, I don't even have a contract. in rap. Do you have a six year contract? <laughs> yeah, I don't have a six. I don't even have a, a three year contract. Like what's going on here? You know? So, but he's someone I'm very proud of as well. And then, like I said, there's just a whole bunch that, you know, I'm proud of, but also I love bringing them to TV and letting them have the opportunity to work dark or elevation or whatever it is just so they could see how real it is. Right. And some of them get turned off by it. Like, Oh my God, like I'm not ready for this, which is again, something as, as bad as it sounds, I want them to see that because I'll tell them like, Hey, if you don't, if you think you're ready and I'm telling you, you're not no problem. You want to come to TV, I'll open the door. But if you walk through that curtain after your match is over and we don't sign you, like you're not coming back. So it's like a, it's like a loser leaves town match, you know, like if you're willing to put your career on the line, you know, we can do it. And then they're like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm like, okay, I'm just telling you, like, you'll get a chance one day, but get gear that looks presentable. Like, I'm not saying everyone has to have six packs. Hell, I don't have a six pack, but your character has to match your look or your look has to match your character. Right. So like, that's why I'm not out there calling myself, you know, Mr. Olympia, you know, with the, with not having a six pack, you know what I mean? Like, but at the same time, so I'm just very big on those things and checking as many boxes as possible when it comes to being a pro wrestler, I feel like if you treat it like a report card and the more A's you have, the better chance you have of, of getting a full-time job, you know? That's a good way. All right. We're talking with uh, QT Marshall coming up next on AEW Unrestricted. Questions from the fans. AEW Unrestricted, we're talking with QT Marshall, who is MVP behind the scenes and certainly is right now uh, in one of the real good programs that we have going on as we are taping this uh, with the Cody and the split between the Nightmare family and the factory. And we could talk more about that. But right now we want to get to the fans. This first question is, I've read it. I read it over and I want to make sure I get it right. It says, from none of your business on Twitter. 
None of your business is his handle on Twitter. QT, you've trained a lot of wrestlers who are slowly and surely becoming staples of AEW. What makes you the most proud to see them achieve in the company? I think uh, when their boss or one of the EVPs pulls them aside and, and gives them the pat on the back. Because, again, we aren't in front of full crowd, so we haven't had those opportunities to really – you know, I, it would be when the whole crowd is chanting your name, right? That would be the, for me, because that's what our business is about. It's about satisfying the paying customer. But until we can do that, let's satisfy the people that pay you. <laughs> so I think when, you know, when a Lee Johnson or a Vance walks back after just main eventing a dynamite and, you know, Tony Khan is standing there going crazy and clapping and, you know, oh my God, that was great. You know, for me that there's nothing better than that. Cause then I, I know, one that they're making uh, themselves, you know, look great, obviously, but it also falls back on me indirectly. So as a coach, there's nothing better than that. I think it's really great because I think you and I have very similar opinions about some wrestling fans on Twitter. I'll say some wrestling fans and how they're very critical and like, Oh, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? But like, ultimately at the end of the day, you're trying to please the people that employ you. And I think that's number one. And I absolutely agree with, that answered like if you walk back and Tony's happy with it, then that's honestly just great. That's a that's a A on the report card, as you say. Hundred percent. All right, we got a question. The philosophy student on Twitter. Some fans think you're a prominent position at AEW simply because of your friendship with Cody. And does that bother you? And how do you rise above it? I'll never be able to rise above it. I realized that a long time ago. In fact, I went out there on national television and said, I'm always going to be known as Cody's friend. So it bothers me a little bit. But at the same time, again, they, they're not there at six o'clock in the morning when I'm working side by side with Tony. And I do think if it wasn't for Cody, I wouldn't have had the chance. Right. Like like I said, I opened the doors for my students. He opened the door for me, but I could still be his assistant making that money that I was making as his assistant. Or I could have done what I did, which was look around and realize like, wow, this is a startup. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be done that if you're not telling people to do it, they might not, it might not get done. So let me do it. And then when I asked for my reward, which was always going to be to be a wrestler, I always knew, okay, I'm going to ask for this, but let me get enough brownie points in the bag that I could turn around and say, hey, well, look what I've done for you. This is all I'm asking for. Just give me one shot, right? So I'll never be able to get that away. And honestly, he is my friend and he's a good friend. You know, we might not see eye to eye on everything, but he, he is, he's one of, you know, he's my best friend. So screw them. You know what I mean? Like, and honestly, look at our whole entire roster. Somebody had to vouch for you to get in here. That goes with any job. Like even all the extras, I had to vouch for them. You know what I mean? The extras like that turned into jobs. Sure. Like Max Caster, like I had to, you know, someone vouched for him. Anthony Bowens, someone had to vouch for him. Like that's just how wrestling works. And that's how life works. It's not about who you know or what you know. It's who's willing to say they know you. So, yep. you know, if you've got someone willing to say they know you and they're in a prominent spot, they're going to do it because it's probably going to benefit them as well. Right. Like I'm sure Cody wanted to help me, but he also knew that putting me as his assistant, letting me assist him, <laughs> I might be good at something. You know what I mean? So, well, you rise above it by putting in the work and outworking everybody. I know it's a, a shirt that Christian Cage has out now, but it really is, is how you do it. And uh, you've you've done that. And I think you've risen above it quite well. Right. 
Uh, here's from Noah on Twitter. Uh, why is your theme not just a good wrestling theme, but an overall great song in general? Well, because it's real. Uh, I think it's called like uh, Breaking Free because that's that's what I wanted to okay. show when I when I left the Nightmare Family and started my own The Factory. I was breaking free of, of all of those things, right? Cody's friend, Dustin's partner, uh, the assistant, like I was breaking free of all of that. So I think the lyrics hit home, but also it's a cool song. And when I was in ring of honor, I had one of the coolest songs and like to the point where the fans were mad that they gave me that song. And I actually DM the band if I could use it. Cause they let me use it in the documentary. Right. So I wanted it for AEW and they just haven't answered their DMs. So now Mikey came back and made this incredible theme. So they missed out because they could have been on Dynamite every week. But, uh, yeah, I'm excited for it. I think people love it. And I'm sure there's a lot that are mad that it's been given to me as well. <laughs> but I'm not going to do anything that I don't think is cool. And if I think it's cool, I'm the, I'm the biggest wrestling fan in the world. So if I think it's cool, there's a good chance that the majority of wrestling fans are going to think so as well. Hell, yeah. Peter Meter on Twitter. Uh, you've got a number of members in the nightmare in the factory right now. You've got Aaron Solo, Nick Camaroto, Anthony Agogo. Do you plan on adding more members? And if so, who are you looking to potentially add? Well, I think the biggest thing we've been talking about is possibly adding a female. Ooh. And before she signed with Mark Sterling, you know, Jade would have been the first choice because she trains at the at the factory. Right. But we wanted her to be a, you know, she's got a lot going for herself. So she you know, we kind of wanted to let that go. But there's a lot of extra talent that comes in that I think if they were just taught the right things at the right times, um, that they have a lot of potential. And that's what happened with Aaron Solo. You know, I didn't train him from scratch. He's been around for 13 years, but he just needed the proper guidance. And that's where that that, you know, where his opportunity came in. So there are some people out there, but I think adding a female to the group would really would really help us out. There's been a couple on uh, Elevation and Dark that are not affiliated with any of the factions in AEW. So we'll see. It's just about getting to make sure they, they understand what it means to be a part of the factory. And that literally means that you have no problem stepping on anyone and everyone to make it to the top. All right. Let's let's uh, let's go to Tony Commentates. That's at Tony Commentates on Twitter. Wait, is that you? No. Hell no. I was going to say you could just ask me the question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is from me. <laughs> and also from Tony Commentates on Twitter. What is the one wrestling move, QT, that you love but cannot do? Mm. I think it's Pax Black Arrow. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the only – so I was in gymnastics when I was little. So there's a lot of stuff I can do. That's the only one I just cannot comprehend how he twists in the air like that. I would say that, yeah, that's probably it because I can – you know, Arn was at the facility a couple weeks ago. And I was just jumping around and having fun. And he, he looked at me and said, there's really nothing you can't do, huh? I said, no, not really. And then I said, well, I think Pax move is the one I can't do. And then I tried it and I couldn't do it. So yeah, that's the one. If I can figure out how to do that one, you'll see it on Twitter anytime soon. Got a question from All Elite George on Twitter. I'm going to take his question and kind of turn it around a little bit. Uh, he asks. Why? Because he doesn't make grammatical sense no he actually does i just think that there we can we can get a little deeper with it okay uh so he asks what's your favorite wrestling match of all time mm. i want to know what's your personal favorite one to watch and what's your favorite one that you've wrestled in mm. okay favorite one that i've wrestled in would have to be the one 
probably where I teamed with Cody. And that was in Dallas, Garland. And that was because I was positioned as MJF chose me as Cody's partner, as the unknown, as the uh, enhancement talent tag team partner. And we went from, you know, who are you to Cody's partner to by the end QT. So that was a great story. It was a great feeling. I remember coming in the back and just, you know, okay, cool. Like it worked. I always wanted to just get over. Right. And in that one night I felt that with that audience, we did uh, our job when it comes to the greatest match that I like watching, I would say rock stone cold WrestleMania 17. Yeah. That one. Mm -hmm. The other one would probably be Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, the Iron Man match. I just remember being, you know, that was 96 so 11 years old and just hoping that the boyhood dream would come true. And I think going back to the movie, Tony, that's a, a story that most people can relate to. Yeah. So it's a kid that has a dream that just wants it to, you know, he wants to succeed. So that's probably it. I, I think wrestling is about feeling and emotion. It's not about moves. It's not about winning and losing. It's how you can make a person or a group of people or a mass amount of people feel at the same time. You know, when we, when we teach film study at the facility, you know, and I never thought about it until Cody and I started teaching together where he'll just tell them like, you can tell me how many spots they blew, how many, you know, moves didn't look great. And then at the end, just look at the audience. And if that audience is going crazy, they did their job. So that those are the greatest wrestlers of all time, you know, not the greatest chain wrestlers. Cause those people don't, they're sitting on their hands and they're giving you a golf clap afterwards. So, you know, who's really the greatest professional wrestler of all time, you know? All right. Our final question comes from Kyle L. That's Kyle L on Twitter. How did you getting to use the diamond cutter come about? Do you have a previous history with diamond Dallas page? Well, so Kyle obviously doesn't watch road Two, and Kyle L needs to delete his Twitter and probably stop telling people he's a fan <laughs> of AEW, but for all the other fans that are new to AEW, Shooter. thank you, Kyle, for this great question. And yes, Diamond Dallas Page and I have had a uh, history of friendship ever since we started filming Road Twos at his facility. Right. And then when I started working, he asked me what my finish was. And I told him, well, I've only won one match in my career in AEW. And I did a swanton off the top rope. And that hurt very badly for the my opponent and also for me. And he said, well, what if you use the diamond cutter? And I said, well, a lot of people use cutters all over the company. He said, no, 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 the diamond cutter, like endorsed by DDP. And I was like, Jesus, are you sure? Like, then I even messaged him back a couple of days later, like, hey, I don't know if you were drinking when you called me, uh, <laughs> could you offer me this move and you're a Hall of Famer and I don't know if you meant it, but of course I'd be honored. And on top of that, it's I mean, everyone knows RKO out of nowhere. And before that, it was hit the diamond cutter out of nowhere. It's an easy move to hit at all times. So I was I was all for it. And then we filmed those vignettes of him teaching me, and which was crazy because it was during COVID. And he wouldn't let me in his house without like doing a full on shower of sanitizer. <laughs> so at one point, he just made me sit outside the whole time and talk to me through the glass window. Which you can watch on Road 2. Which you can watch on Road 2, Kyle L. <laughs> and, uh, so... <laughs> Yeah, it's fun. I mean, I, I have a whole bunch of other moves that I do. I also thought, too, like, how disrespectful would it be if I said no? Honestly. Right. And on top, like I said, between that and the fact that it's a cool move, 
You can do it on anybody. It just made sense to say yes. And, you know, now the fans hate it even more because of my position in the company as a bad guy. And I just love rubbing it in their face. So I remember Arn said something to me. He said, you know, when you do that diamond cutter, everyone thinks of DDP. I said, I know. And they get very upset at the fact that he chose me out of all the wrestlers in the world. So I'm going to continue to do it. A lot of fun. Good plan. All right, QT. Good talking to you as always. Thanks, Tony. Aubrey. All right, QT. You can follow him on Twitter, RealMMarshall1, and on Instagram, RealQTMarshall. Definitely listen to AEW Unrestricted. Every Thursday, we got a new episode. Wherever you get your podcast, please leave us a rating, review, subscribe, all that good shit. And don't forget, you can check out the video of this podcast on YouTube. Search AEW Unrestricted. And don't forget Elevation Mondays on Dark Tuesdays are both on our YouTube channel as well. But the big one comes up each and every week, Aubrey. Every week, Wednesday, 8 o'clock, 7 Central, TNT. And we'll be on the road soon, so definitely check out AEWTix.com. See where we're coming. Come to a live show. It's friggin' incredible, and we're all very excited, and I know the fans are too. So I'm Aubrey Edwards. This is Tony Schiavone. Thank you for listening to Unrestricted. Thanks, QT. Thank you. Have a good one. Come on, throw your hands up. Let me see you. Unrestricted. Got the house now. We gon' turn it up, up. Bring the house down. Got that big space pumping. Make them bounce now. Flossing like they bossing and the freaks are coming out.